I tell you what, this is my favorite time of year. I love when the weather gets a little cool. Uh, in the summer, I sometimes imagine, why in the world am I living here? It's just way too hot. Now, this time of year, it is perfect and it is beautiful. And, uh, and so th- today feels very nice to me. Uh, we are going through the book of Acts as a church in our sermon series. Do you know what the full uh, name of the book of Acts is? Is it Acts of the Apostles? That's right. That is actually the full name of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. But you know, it could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because really, when you look at the book of Acts, it is not the apostles who are doing it. It is the apostles, but it is the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And throughout the whole book of Acts, we just get a picture of who the Holy Spirit is. And so this morning, I thought, rather than hunker down in one specific text... I wanted to back up and take a Sunday where we just look at the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the course of the whole book. And so this morning, I'll just tell you, we're jumping around a lot and we're flying a lot. The whole book, like I said, is about the Holy Spirit. So we could just sit here and read all 28 chapters. So I'm just going to pick and choose. But the reason, I, we, the reason we do this this sunny, Sunday is because I think if we need to have an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. It's very, very important. Sometimes I think we take the Holy Spirit for granted. We give a heavy emphasis on God the Father. We think of the God the Father sitting in heaven on His throne, and we think of His sovereignty and His holiness and His power. And we emphasize the, uh, God the Son, Jesus, coming to this earth living before us a perfect life and dying on the cross, rising from the dead, but we forget that the Holy Spirit is actually the one through whom we have a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually lives within our hearts, all of us who are believers in Jesus. And then we read the book of Acts, and we see all of these amazing things happen, and we recognize that the same Spirit that is at work in Acts is the same Spirit that lives within us. And to me, that is a magnificent thought. And so it is important for us to understand the Holy Spirit, and I hope that it excites us to think these are the type of things that God wants to do in our church and in our lives. Not in the exact same way. The Spirit never works identical, identically in two people's lives or in two situations' lives. But the principles are all there. These are the type of things that God wants to do in us. And so let's, before we begin to look at these verses, let's take a minute and pray that God would uh, speak through us today. Speak to us today. Father God, now we come before you and we humble ourselves realizing that how desperately we need you. God, I realize that this, that I can't preach this sermon on my own. I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me and give me the words. And God, then I ask and pray that every person here, that you would touch us with your Spirit. May you plant the seeds that would reap the harvest in our hearts and in our lives and in our church, God, that your, that your will would be done in this place. And so we pray for the Holy Spirit's help now as we consider the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and in our lives. We pray for the Holy Spirit to take up uh, residence within us and do your work. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we go all the way back to Acts 1. In Acts 1, the drama starts, and we, recognize, and we find the disciples there looking up into heaven, staring up into the heavens as Jesus ascends on, uh, in the clouds, and we're, and we're left wondering, what's going to happen now? It's kind of like a sports team that loses its best player. They're surely not going to be as good. Jesus is gone, and now the early Christians are left there without their leader. What is going to happen? Jesus, before he uh, ascends into heaven, he meets with the disciples, and they're huddled together in Jerusalem, and he says, wait here. Don't do anything yet. Acts 1, 4, and 5 says, and while... And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptism means to be immersed. You are going to be immersed in the Spirit. You're going to be immersed in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit brings power, Acts 1.8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so uh, Jesus is promising that the Holy Spirit will come upon them and the Holy Spirit will come with power. And the Holy Spirit then does come on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they begin to speak languages that they've never learned Languages that they've never spoken. The Holy Spirit comes with power. But before that day, they're in this intermediate period. Acts 1.11 says, An angel appeared to the disciples as they're staring into heaven. And the angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand staring into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The angel there is speaking of Jesus' second coming. Jesus ascends into heaven, and he will come back to earth again in the same way that we saw him go. And so, beginning with Jesus' ascension, we live between his two comings. This is the age in which not only the apostles and the book of Acts was written, Not only the apostles lived and the events recorded in the book of Acts, but it is also the age in which we live. Now I want to point out one other thing, and that is related to Jesus' ascension. In Matthew, as he gives the Great Commission, remember how he closes it? He says that he will be with us always, even to the very end of the age. He will be with us always, even to the very end of the age. The end of the age is when Jesus comes back a second time, of which the angel is telling the apostles, He will come down to you the same way as you saw Him go up. And now we live in the end of the age. We live in this in-between period. And the promises of Jesus are, are true for us as well. He will be with us always. But He's not here physically. He's uh, he's not with us where we can touch his body, 
But in a very real way, Jesus is here. How is he here? Through the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascends to heaven, he takes the seat at the right hand of the Father, and he executes his plan and his power. And that is done through the Holy Spirit sent. And so I want to make three points about the Holy Spirit this morning. And the first we might take for granted, but I don't want us to. So I'm making an individual point. Point one is that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian, everyone who is a believer in Jesus, has the Holy Spirit living within them. Last week we looked at Acts 10 and 11. And we, and we saw that there was not different classes of Christians. There's not different tiers of spirituality. That there's first cl- tier, there's second tier. There's not first class citizens, second class citizens. But the reason we know that they are all together is because the Spirit is given to everyone equally. The Spirit is poured out upon, upon the Gentiles just as it is upon the Jews. And this to the early Christians was an amazing thought. Acts 10.45 says, and the, and the believers from among the circumcised who, has, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. And this is God's normal way of doing things. When people believe, when they hear the gospel and they believe in the gospel and they place their faith in Jesus, immediately the Holy Spirit comes and enters into them. And then we see in the book of Acts, the next step that usually takes place is that the person is baptized. And Christians today follow in in obedience to God by being baptized as well. This is God's MO uh, for people to hear the gospel, put their faith in Jesus, and receive the Holy Spirit. And I just emphasize that because that is such a magnificent thought that if you are a believer in Jesus... You have the Holy Spirit living within you. There's an interesting uh, story in Acts 19 that I'm just going to go over briefly that drives this point home. In Acts 19, we, uh, we have a min- the ministry of Paul, and it says, verse 1, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth... Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. Disciples literally mean that they are learners, that they are followers of some, of some master. And, Jesus is, and Paul is going to seek to determine if they are disciples of Jesus or someone else. And so how does he uh, try to discern this? He asks them a question. He asks them, Verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their response is this, no, we had not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul knows right off the bat that they are not followers of Jesus. And in the course of the conversation, they come to understand that they are disciples of John the Baptist. Somehow they got in this time warp. And they never uh, understood that John was actually pointing forward to the person of Jesus. And so what does Paul do? He doesn't launch into a teaching about the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting that what he does is he tells them about Jesus. And then when they place their faith in Jesus, they immediately receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul's test question here is very applicable for all of us. 
Have you received the Holy Spirit? Most people that I have asked that question to actually have an understanding within their heart if they examine their life, if the Holy Spirit lives within them. And if you know within your heart, yes, there was a time, and I know right now that the Holy Spirit lives in me, then you can know that you have the assurance of salvation, that you are a child of God. But if there is a question mark, or even if you are confident the Holy Spirit does not live in you, then you know that your life is not hidden with Christ in God, that you are not a Christian. And so the step for you is just the same step that these disciples of John the Baptist in, in Acts 19, to repent of your sins, to turn away from your sins and ask God for forgiveness and ask that Jesus would come into your life. And how does Jesus come into your life? Through the Holy Spirit that is given to you. When I was a teenager, I got my first car. It was a black Mercury Topaz. And it was a piece of junk. But to me, it was great. Because to me, the, the greatest part about this black Mercury Topaz was that it was mine. And I could drive it anytime, anywhere I wanted to go. I could just get in it, and I could go. And it gave me tremendous freedom. Now, I, had, I knew how to drive for a few years before I got a car. But the problem was, even though I knew how to drive and I had my license, I didn't have my own car. I was at the mercy of my parents to let them, to, for them to let me use it once in a while. And the same thing for, is, uh, can be true for many people today. We maybe know about Christ, and we've heard the gospel but we've never bought an in. We've never taken it for ourselves. And so we miss out on all the benefits and all the freedoms that come with actually having the Holy Spirit live within us. And this is one of the glories of being a Christian. One of the fantastic things is that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and gives us all kinds of benefits. I want to highlight four benefits here this morning. The second point is the benefits of having the Holy Spirit are tremendous. Four that, I might, uh, that we might consider briefly in, from the book of Acts, and I'm sure we could make a much larger list. But, but just consider these this morning. The Spirit empowers us. Do you ever feel like you don't have the strength or the power that you need in your life to do whatever it is before you? Isn't it a comfort to know that if the Holy Spirit lives within you, the Spirit empowers us? In fact, Jesus taught us in, uh, in one of his teachings from John chapter 15, he says, If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. This abiding in Christ is actually depending upon the Spirit in you, lining our lives up with God. And apart from the Spirit's help, we can do nothing. 
But with the Spirit's help, we can do great things. In fact, earlier in the exact same passage, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, you will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. In other words, when I go to the Father and send my Holy Spirit, you're going to do even greater things than what Jesus himself did. Now, that's hard for us to believe, but that is the the words of Jesus himself. And so Jesus now, in some ways acts as a CEO, a chief executive officer, executing his will through his followers and through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. As I said, on the day of Pentecost, the the Spirit descends, right? And he takes up and he empowers the disciples to do things they could not do in their own strength, to to speak the gospel in languages that they did not know. But what is interesting is Peter... As he begins to teach on what is happening in their midst, he does not say, hey, this is a one-time deal that is special to us that will never happen ever again. He says, he doesn't say this exact thing will happen, but he's saying, in this new age, these are going to be common things. Quoting Peter from Acts 2, he says, and in the last days, as we said, we're in the last days, between Jesus' two comings, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And just to make sure he, we understand who all flesh is, and your, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams, even on male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It doesn't matter what gender you are. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It says the, uh, the spirit is going to be poured out liberally to all, that we, would be, that we would all receive a full amount of the spirit. And the result will be that we will prophesy. Now, what what Peter means here by prophecy is not necessarily the fact, the individual gift of prophecy. That's a specific gift that some receive and some don't. But But it seems to be have a universal nature to what Peter is saying here. And what I think he is saying is all are going to testify testify of God's salvation and his goodness. Everyone is going to make it known by the power given to them through the Spirit both by their words and the actions of their lives. And so we see that this is universal for all that are believers in Jesus. The Spirit empowers us. So what should we do? Just get busy, right? Let's do something. It's kind of like Nike says, just do it, right? That's the application. Listen to what Henry Blackaby said. The adult Sunday school is going through experiencing God and This is one of my favorite studies. In fact, I encourage you to uh, jump in the uh, adult Sunday school class. But let me quote from the book that they're going through. Henry Blackaby, We are a doing people. We always want to be doing something. Once in a while, someone will say, Don't just stand there, do something. I think God is crying out and shouting to us, Don't just do something, stand there. Enter into a love relationship with me. Get to know me. Adjust your life to me. Let, your lo- let me love you and reveal myself to you as I work through you. A time is coming when the doing will be called for, but we cannot skip the relationship. 
the relationship with God comes first. So we ask ourselves, do we need God's power? I do. Do we need God's strength and His help? Where does that come from? It comes from a relationship with God. Don't just do something. Stand there. Be in the presence of God. And the time for doing will come, but it is only after we cultivate our relationship with the Lord. Oftentimes, and I think this is crucial, that means that we spend time with the Holy Spirit. Intentional time in prayer and in reading God's Word and reflecting upon what God is doing in our lives. So wait upon the Lord. Develop your relationship with God. And it is out of that time that you will draw strength, that the Spirit will empower us to do what He wants us to do. So the second benefit is along the same lines. We've touched on it already. That the Spirit leads, that the Spirit leads and guides us. As a church, we want to be led and guided by the Spirit, right? In a sense, we're still in a transition period. There's a lot of things happening at the church. And my prayer through it all is that we would not just act according to our own understanding, that we would be led and uh, guided by the Holy Spirit. In fact, that is why I really want to continue to emphasize that each month we have a concert of prayer, that we come together. And my hope is that someday when we gather for the first Wednesday of every month on the concert of prayer, that we will have just as many people on that Wednesday night as we do on Sunday morning. Because we recognize that we have to have the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. And that is through cultivating our relationship with God. We are in deep trouble if we are not a church of fervent prayer. Because we need the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit as a church, but we all all need the Holy Spirit individually. And so that's again why I emphasize the, uh, the importance of having that personal time with the Lord to pray and to ponder what God says to us through the Scriptures. Acts 9.10 is an interesting example along these lines. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias! And he said, Here I am, Lord. And that's that's the posture we must all take. Here I am, Lord. Lead me and guide me in whatever direction you want us to, want me to go. As we survey the book of Acts, there are so many times where the, where the early Christians do something they would have never done on their, on their own. They would have never left the familiarity of Jerusalem to go off to these far-off countries to share the gospel. It wasn't on their radar screen. It didn't make any sense to them before the Spirit revealed it to them. They would have never sold land or property to give to the needs of those in the church. They would have never set aside their long-held traditions of what to eat and what not to eat if it were not for the Holy Spirit leading them. And sometimes God will call us to difficult and radical things. But if we are led by the Spirit and we are empowered by the Spirit, it will be God doing it through us and in us. Acts eleven seventeen, Peter says, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? 
May that be true of each of us, that we just say, it's not me, it's the Lord. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Third benefit that we might highlight is that the Spirit unites us. The early church was so united together. And that did not mean they, ha- they did not have strong disagreements at times. There was times they had, uh, they had to make decisions that were very hard things to process. And people came with diverse, uh, strong opinions, but yet they were led by the Holy Spirit and they always were able to come together to reach a conclusion. They faced some real persecution, difficult things, and yet they remained united through it all. A couple summary statements of the early church gives us this kind of picture. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and All who believed were together and had all things in common. We see this unity throughout the book. Acts 4 gives us a similar picture. Now the the full number of those who believed were of one heart and, and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. As I studied these passages this week, it dawned on me that immediately preceding these two summary statements of the early church are both examples of when the Holy Spirit fell upon the early believers. So let me just point out one of those. The verse preceding, the one I just read, now reading Acts 4.31 says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of god with boldness you see i don't think that's coincidence that when the holy spirit comes they are unified and i think that's one of the signs as a church that we are being led by the spirit is if we are unified together And if we are not, which will surely happen sometimes, you know what the call is? The call is for us to pray and to ask God to give us clarity because God is not a God of confusion. He does not want us to be running in different directions. If the Spirit is leading us, He will always bring us back together. That That relates not only to decisions, that relates to sometimes when we have difficulties between us. In a family relationship, there is always struggles, right, between brothers and sisters. And within the church, there are going to be sometimes, whether it is intentional or unintentional, intentionally, we offend one another. And it is because the Spirit lives within us that we can come together and we can be reconciled. Because we are, as we said, brothers and sisters in Christ. The commonality that we have is the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. The Spirit unifies. And lastly, the Spirit transforms us. The Spirit lives within us to make us more and more like Jesus. Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, say them with me if you know it, okay? Here we go. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, the things that come out of our lives, are these kind of uh, traits. And this is the type of things that we see in the book of Acts. Oftentimes, people will be described as being full of the Spirit and some personal trait. Let me highlight just a few. Acts 6.3, it says that the seven who were chosen to participate in the ministry of tables were chosen because they were, quote, full of the Spirit and wisdom. Stephen is singled out as one who is full of the Spirit and faith. Barnabas has a very similar description. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. The disciples in Acts 13 are described as being full, of, full with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You see, what I think is what we pick up here is the fact that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we become more and more like Jesus. He fills us with these kind of things. Wisdom and faith and joy. Last week, someone asked me, did I have an accent when I moved to California? I don't think I did, but Chelsea says I still have an accent, so I don't know. Uh, But isn't it interesting that when people moved to another area of the country, over time they began to talk like the people that live in that area? We are just naturally influenced by those that we spend time with. Those that you hang out with, whether you realize it or not, are influencing you. It reminds me of what the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. In other words, if you keep company with bad people, you're not going to be blessed. You're going to be influenced in that way. But, But the reason I point this out is because I think the same thing can happen to us when we spend time with God. When we spend time with God, we become more godly. When we spend time with the Spirit, He influences us, and we are transformed. Our speech sounds different. Our actions look different. We have different attitudes and motivations. And it is a progressive transformation. I know full well that I've got a long ways to go. But at the same time, I am happy I am not where I used to be. And the same could be said for all of us. It is an ongoing transformative work of the Holy Spirit. And that is why we consistently put ourselves before God with an open posture asking God, God, please change me from the inside out. And so now that leads us to our last point. The Holy Spirit's influence can grow within us. The the most common verb used in connection with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is filled. And so I have this cup because it makes, very, it makes a lot of sense. The idea is we fill the cup with water, right? And we fill it up. Now, when you become a Christian, your cup gets all the way filled. You're not, you don't get a half portion of the Holy Spirit at conversion and then some more Holy Spirit later on. But, it, but the book of Acts does talk about how, for example, Peter, I just picked out Peter and I tried to do a brief survey of the book. I found at least three times that it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not like he didn't have all of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, but he is filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense that 
he is continually being uh, influenced by the Holy Spirit more and more. And the same thing can happen to all of us. When you become a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some uh, theologies that teach you that there is a second filling of the Holy Spirit. And I've received something that would technically be called a second filling of the Holy Spirit. But I look at the course of my life and I think there are times in my life where the Spirit filled me up more and more. Kind of like waves in the ocean. Keeps on coming. And it's not like I got more of the Spirit. It is that the Spirit's influence began to grow in me. And this is true for all of us. And so what is the the filling of the Holy Spirit? It is when the Holy Spirit's influence grows in our lives and we come before God with open hands, desiring the Spirit to have greater influence in us, seeking it in prayer and the study of His Word, praying for it, and then obeying God as He leads. And the Holy Spirit's influence grows in our hearts. To me, this is an exciting message because I love the idea of the Holy Spirit leading us. I know full well that we can't do anything in our own strength or in our own power. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And on the first Sunday of every month, we gather before this communion table and we remind ourselves of Jesus' death on the cross for us. That this bread that we will eat symbolizes his body that was broken for us. The juice that we would drink symbolizes the blood that was shed for us. And we recognize that uh, the only way that we have a relationship with God is through Jesus' death and resurrection. So I want to encourage us that as we're before the table that we we reflect upon that. But I also want us to take this time because we're going to have some time of silence I want you to take this time to pray and to pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to mold you and shape you and to draw you closer and closer to the Lord, that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit would have influence in your life. As the ushers come forward, let me take a minute and pray for our communion together. Father God, we just come before you and we recognize that how, how dependent we are upon you. God, sometimes in our own pride, we wish we could do it on our own. We wish we could just muster up a lot of effort and do the things that we would want to do. But when we do, we recognize that those things will have very short-lived value. When we look at our lives in light of an eternal perspective, we realize that we want our lives to count for something more. We want our lives to make an eternal difference. And those type of things we recognize we cannot do on our own. And so right now we just come before you and we humble ourselves before these elements and we remind ourselves that we are so thankful for Jesus' death on the cross that you purchased a salvation for us that we could not buy on our own. 
we remind ourselves of the Holy Spirit that is living within us, that gives us strength and, and guidance and transforms us from the inside out. And we are thankful for the Holy Spirit and we pray that the Spirit would grow within our hearts and within our church. And God, we pray that we would be good partners. We're not passive in this. We recognize that we seek to do the work that you have called us to do and we depend upon your Spirit. But God, we pray that you would help us to seek you with all of our hearts. Help us even now in the quietness of this room to pray to you and ask that you would grow in our lives. And even if we don't have that desire, help us to first of all pray, God, help me to have the desire to follow you and to live for you with all my heart. And God, help us to be reminded of the picture that we see in Acts of the early Christians so full of wisdom and joy and faith and realize that that's the kind of life we want to live as well. God, we want to have your joy and we want to have your wisdom. We want to follow you with faith because that really is the best life possible. God, if we live for ourselves, we will always be left with disappointment. But God, fill us with your spirit so that we can experience all the benefits that you would have for us. You created us and you love us. And it is wonderful that we can be your children. And so now as we partake of this Lord's Supper, may we be reminded of all that you have done for us and may we recommit our lives to you and pray that you would continue to work your, your saving work in our hearts and may it spread out through, from our lives into the hearts and lives of those that we know and love. And so we pray that you would bless this communion time together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.